Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to Radio Days, the podcast. You can hear this podcast on Buzzsprout, as well as all major podcast platforms like Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. You can also watch it via YouTube as well as my website, ronrobinsonstudios.com. On today's show, which is brought to you by Team 71 Mortgage Group and Radio Days, the documentary, we're going to be taking a dive into the radio career of another Detroit sports talk radio luminary. Last week, we had Art Regner on. This week, another radio icon in Detroit. He's been heard on WHK in Cleveland, CBS Radio, as well as 1130 WDFN and XYT in Detroit. He's also worked in television as a reporter for WDIV Local 4, and uh, he was also the play-by-play for the Detroit Titans. Uh, And he's also filled in for George Blaha from time to time for the Pistons. He currently hosts a very successful podcast, Locked In on the Lions, and I'm a big fan of that show. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Did I mention uh, he was also the in-game host for the USPBL at Jimmy John's Field in Utica for a spell? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man from Pepper Pike, Ohio, Matt the Diesel Dairy. How you doing, Matt? Ron, it's uh, it's great to see you. Uh, wow, following up after Arthur J. Regner, that is that's big shoes to fill. So uh, I'm feeling the pressure because Art is uh, one of the best. But uh, thanks for having me on. Of course. Now, um, obviously, this podcast we talk about uh, people's career in broadcasting. But before we start into your career, Matt, um, I, I like to go even further. As a youngster, what were you listening to on the radio? You obviously grew up in, I mentioned, not obviously, but I mentioned you you were from Ohio. What were you listening to on the radio when you were growing up? I was kind of old school. You know, I was young and I was really into talk radio and none of my friends were, none of them understood why, you know, you go to fifth or sixth grade or whatever and they're asking you who you idolize and people would say Bernie Kosar, you know, the Browns quarterback or this politician or this, you know, person, uh, news anchor or whatever it was. And my idol was Joe Tate, who was the longtime play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just wanted to be Joe. Joe also did the Indians too, as well on television when I was a kid. Actually was on the the microphone on channel 43, the local broadcast of the 1981 perfect game from Len Barker. I remember it like it was yesterday. So Joe was my idol, but I was also really into talk radio. My dad was very good friends with the now late Les Levine, who was a talk show host in Cleveland, uh, Gary D, uh, who was a, a, a also a talk show host, not necessarily sports, because sports was my thing, but I wanted to be Gary too. I, I used to call his show. I was 12, 13 years old. I would I had mono once, so I was home for a month, and I just listened to Gary on the <laughs> middays and called in. So I was this old-school kid that loved radio and had that clock radio next to his bed, and I would listen to Joe and Gary and all these people, and I just I wanted to be in that medium uh, and I knew that's what I want to go to college for too. Now, very similar to you, I you know I grew up in Detroit, so uh, before I went to broadcasting school, what maybe go to Specs is WDFN, the fan, and we're going to talk about your your time there because you were there for a spell. But um, I think we both share that in common that we were bitten by the radio bug uh, at a young age as a fan, but sports talk talk radio and sports talk specifically made us want to get into radio. Um, what was your first job in, in broadcasting? Do you remember that? Well, I mean, to be honest, the, the, the first job was the student station in, in Syracuse. So I, I went there to try out and be on WAER FM 88, which is the same station that 
brought, you know, Bob Costas to this world, Marv Albert, Mike Tirico, Dave Pash, Ian Eagle, Sean McDonough, the list goes on and on. Wow. And all these guys that you see now, yeah, started at AER. So when I was uh, in high school, I had a friend actually in Pittsburgh uh, by the name of Adam Lippard, who uh, was at Syracuse at the time. And uh, when I was looking at schools and said, I can get you a tryout at least at AER, but you got to, you got to make it. You, you, you try out, you have a year plus to, to get on the air and get cleared to be on the, on the, but I can at least get you a tryout where you wouldn't just be a, uh, a name on a list. So I got that tryout. So really my first job, even though it was college radio, it was so professional the way they handled us and the way that we did and broadcasted sports uh, football, basketball, and lacrosse at Syracuse. I was lucky enough my senior year, 94, 95, there was only four seniors. Uh, some of the junior class included guys like Andrew Siciliano who's at the NFL Network now, Zach Zaidman, who's with the Chicago Cubs, um, um, and guy Tim Benz, who's in Pittsburgh. So all those guys were really good juniors, but our senior class was really small. It's myself, who was the assistant sports director, Mike Cranston, who was the uh, sports director, Jeff Millos and Larry Gato. So there was only four of us. So I got to do a lot of games, a lot of football games, a lot of basketball games, lacrosse the year before. So when people say, what's your first job? Well, professionally, it was WHK in Cleveland for a year. But really, I cut my teeth at AER. I learned so much. Uh, I'm a very active alum still. I donate to the station. I give back to the kids. I, I sent uh, our Syracuse basketball program, Ron, has been so bad the last few years. <laughs> the guys didn't get to do uh, an NCAA tournament last year. So I said, instead of the tournament, I, I, I stayed in touch, I stayed in touch with everybody. I, I sent a bunch of pizzas and I said, just have some food and, and, uh, and do it for the staff. And I paid for the pizzas. So, uh, it's not something I broadcast or put out on Twitter. Like, yeah. Hey, here's what I'm doing. But I, I, AR means everything to me. So, uh, I, that's, that's really truly where I believe I got my start. And that's quite an impressive list of, of people that you're on there with. I mean, when I think of Bob Costas, I always think he got to start in the ABA, but uh, he, he you know, even goes back <laughs> yeah, farther. In St. Louis. Let me say this. I'm not, I, yeah, I worked there, but I am certainly not on the the, the, the level of Bob or, or uh, you know, Dave Pash was a, a year ahead of me, and I always knew that Dave would be this good. Uh, McDonough is amazing. Guys like Sean and Ian Eagle are really good friends. Tariko, I've known forever. Just had him on Lockdown Lions last year before week 18. Um, it's great. To, those are like brothers to me, like older brothers and mentors. And that's kind of how WAR goes. You know, John Eads, who just graduated from, from Syracuse and AER, was one of my students when I taught at U of D Jesuit for three years. I sent him there. I said, you're going to get a shot, but you got to make it. And he did. Right. And so it's kind of cool to have another generation of kid not my own per se, but those kids were like sons to me. For John to work there was really cool. Uh, now, you mentioned it, and I mentioned it at the top, uh, WHK in Cleveland. How did that the opportunity present itself, and, and, and what did you start doing there, and how did that evolve? Yeah, so I graduated in 95, and I thought I was great. Now, they, you know, we all had egos there. At sure. AR, we're all, oh, we're just going to get jobs out of college. And, um and it was hard because you're sending out your cassette tape and a resume pretty much in the mail. It's not like today where you can just send the MP3 or whatever to, to folks or email your stuff. And uh, turned out I, I did want to go home. I, Cleveland had two sports radio stations at the time, WKNR and WHK, which was the smaller of the two stations. Uh, but Les Levine, like I said, my dad's good friend was doing afternoon drive there. He talked to the program director uh, about me, sent the tape, and uh, 
and they hired me that summer. So it was like June or July after I graduated. I, I started my career there just doing morning sports, like morning sports updates, helping co-host the morning show with a guy named Dan McDowell, who's now a very successful sports talk host in Dallas and has been at the ticket in Dallas for over 20 years. Dan is very innovative and amazing. Um, and so I was at HK for a year, and then I really got to learn what the business side was all about because a year in, the station got sold to Salem Broadcasting. We all got fired. I mean, literally, they said, you have one more week. Ugh. Clear out your mailboxes and your stuff. And they're changing the station to some Catholic talk format or Christian talk, and WHK will no longer exist. So that was a pretty big punch to the gut. But it was sure. like, all right, I was living at home with my parents. I saved a little bit of money. I wasn't making any money. I mean, I was paid, but not much. And that was the end of my career at HK. It was a year. It was great. Last day of the of the of the of the station, you know, the Les was saying his goodbyes. They were signing off, and he brought me in the studio, and I just started bawling my eyes out because I had a blast with the with the crew, the guys and the girls on the staff, and I, you know, I figured I'd be there a long time, and I was there one one year, and that was it. So, well, that's I mean, when you think about first time full time gigs, that's kind of the, you know the standard. But I do want to ask you before we move on from WHK because one of the cool things that I got to do when I was a student at Specs, and I don't, I don't think it was. Uh, they had it for very long, but we had an opportunity to call play-by-play -play for the Southfield High School as as students yeah. there. And I've always been fascinated with with Ken Cal is one of my heroes, but but play-by-play -play people. And you obviously had that play-by-play. -play. And I see when you were at HK, uh, you did some high school football play-by-play -play and basketball play-by-play. -play. Yeah, what was that like? Because when you think about you know, your work as a play-by-play -play man, and you've kind of made it to the pinnacle of that. I mean, you've called the Pistons, the Titans, and, and so on. What what kind of impact did those experiences have on you as you as you developed your career and moved on? Well, I mean, to be honest, Ron, I mean, I'm at Syracuse. I'm at Madison Square right. Garden calling the Big East Tournament. So as a student, so everybody used to say, like Ian used to tell us all the time on the phone or, or even Tariko would tell us as students, like, this could be the best job you ever have. So cherish what you have now and really soak it in. So when you're at MSG calling, I think that year I called, I was at Madison's, I mean, Madison Square Garden's the, the pinnacle, like right. you said. So Syracuse St. John's at the Garden was a dream for me. Syracuse in the Big East Tournament, although we lost in the first round of Providence, was still awesome. So it's like, you got to hop on the phone, you call home, you call your dad, who's in Cleveland and you go, you know, collect call or back then I didn't have cell phones. And you're like, you know, I'm at the garden calling a freaking game. Like, this is it. Like, even if I never get this chance again, um, you soak it in. So then you're right. The next year I'm at HK doing sports casts and reporting. And I asked like, is there any, are, gonna, are there going to be any play by play opportunities? There was a guy that had called high school sports for many years. And I think still does back in Cleveland. He's been around forever, Adam Mendoza. And he, and I was like, I know Adam is sort of the king of high school, but can I get a game or two or can I, cause I want to keep doing it. So to go from, you're right, the garden where everything's paid for by the student station to, you know, you're going to get $50 to a game to broadcast a high school game in Chardon or something right. was a little bit of a step down, but I, I loved it. I still loved the environment and the atmosphere and it was on a professional station as opposed to the student station. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. As far, that's, that's awesome as far as opportunities, but, can you talk to me about the nuts and bolts of like how you call a game? Because even if you're a broadcaster and you're a good broadcaster, not everybody can do that play-by-play -play thing. That's a special skill. What? How did you develop your style, and, and and did you feel yourself getting better as you called more and more games? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question, Ron. I mean, to be honest, um, I knew that I had uh, the best mentor around and Joe Tate. I didn't know Joe at the time, but I just knew how the game was supposed to be called because Joe was a top flight play-by-play guy. So I'm thinking I'm going to be in the NBA someday and be right. like Joe. So the biggest thing that anybody used to tell me, whether it was Dave Pash, whether it was Dave Jagler, who's now at the Washington Nationals, any of the guys that were older than me at AER, when you needed to get cleared for football, basketball, lacrosse, what they wanted to hear was time and score first and foremost. You could have all these great calls and uh, you could, you know, nowadays the kids all want to sound like Gus Johnson and some of these other slappies. But to be quite honest, when you're doing the radio, time and score, where is the ball or puck or whatever it is and what's going on? You mentioned Ken Cal before. I don't think people in Detroit realize how good Ken Cal is. Ken Cal's freaking great because he gives a time and score. You're in your car. You just get in on a Saturday night. You took your wife to dinner. The Wings game's on the ticket. You know, and it's 920 at night. Yeah, you could go to your phone now and look up the score, but you shouldn't have to. The play-by-play guy that's in the, the that you're listening to in the car should be telling you the, the time and score. Three minutes left, third period, wings up 2-1 on, on Winnipeg. You know, and and too many guys, and I don't want to name names and get myself in trouble. I probably will end up getting myself in trouble <laughs> at some point. But there's too many guys in this market where you two tune on the game and it's five minutes in. And you don't know the score? Like, come on. Yeah. Like, that kills me. Like, Time and score. I used to tell my son, my son broadcasted in high school, and I used to tell him all the time, Jace, time and score. I would text it to him. He's like, Dad, I I said it. I said, say it more. Joe Tate, no matter what, exciting play for the Cavs, Doherty, Nance, Mark Price, whatever it was, those those legendary series with Michael Jordan, you always knew time and score. So that was big for me on top of having a little bit of a personality and just description. You know, yeah. I don't want to, I never wanted to be one of those people that said, well, he's more of a TV guy calling it on radio. No radio guys to me, there's a gift, you know, like listen to what George, when George Blah did radio years back, same thing. George had the flow. George had the cool catchphrases, you know, off the high glass and in, but George gave you the time and score. And two you and 20, like two and 20, you were there, you know what I right, mean? The way right. he would even say you the felt time like, was Ron, special. that you were actually there. So that was the biggest thing for me was description and then having some panache and a little bit of an entertainment value as well. No question. All right. So from there you went to, you left HK at WHK and you, uh, I don't know how long you were there, but you were a sports channel host uh, in Ohio for Metro host color commentary for the Cleveland state basketball team. Talk about that. Cause that wasn't very long, but you were there for a cup of coffee. What happened there? Well, no, I mean, you know, or was that at the same place? It was at the, basically when I was in Cleveland, when we grew up, um, like I said, my dad was a fan of everything. And so, we would go to Cleveland state basketball games. And so uh, Les Levine was the voice of the Vikings. And so I filled in and did some stuff with, with less um, uh, on Cleveland state. That was minor. It was short, you know, just, but it was, it was experience, you know, sports channel Ohio was before Fox sports, Ohio, which is now Bally sports. And eventually that will go away. Unfortunately, as you know, yeah. Ron, cause that's a struggle bus right now, but yeah, I heard the Pistons. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, got, I heard, I'm and, sorry. I heard the tigers are even on our, our, our is that going to be an end to Bally sports and tigers? Is that going to be coming to an end? Cause I, I think they're on Pluto or some other channel now. I don't know the tigers anyway. No, I, I think eventually by the end of this season, I think Bally sports will not exist. I think that the, because of the financial situation, the, the bankruptcy, um, I don't know what it's going to turn into. That's, that's the biggest thing, but yes, to answer your question, I mean, sports channel was just, just some experience. 
like you said, it was one season, and then I was, as you're about to tell everybody, I was then in Detroit. I had moved here. Yeah, 2000. Well, it says your first, you went to WDIV in Detroit before you got into radio. Is this true? Or how, what's the timeline? Well, no, not in, I mean, not in that order. When I was here, I did some stuff. For okay, Chicago. okay. So yeah. what brought you to Detroit? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's start there. Well, yeah, so I was out of a job in Cleveland. HK got sold. We're all gone. And I'm like, now what? And like I said, I was living at home, which wasn't too bad. Didn't have a lease or anything or an apartment. So uh, it was time to get the tapes and the resume back out. And Dave Pash, who, I, like I said, when I went to Syracuse with, was a year above me in school. He uh, was at WDFN uh, anchoring sports. And he was filling in. He was doing some Detroit Viper games on the radio. I think he was the voice of the Vipers for a little while. And I just caught talk to Dave. And I'm like, is there anything up at DFN for me? You know, because you're there. And he said, yeah, actually, they're hiring. They're going to hire another sports anchor and reporter. Get with, um, you know, the program director and uh, the folks at Metro Networks. And so I drove up and I met with, I think his name was Glenn Oswald at Metro, uh, Greg Henson at DFN, and uh, they hired me. So I was working kind of for both, but I was really on DFN all the time. It was just how I was getting paid at the time. And so I started at WDFN in August of 96. I remember my first, one of my first shifts was week one, Lions at Vikings in 96, and that was when Detroit was leading for most of the game. And uh, I was doing sports uh, updates and scoreboards on the postgame show with Art Regner. You mentioned Art. And the Sarge, Steve Courtney, and uh, Eric oh, Lynch Courtney's got the ball great, on the one-yard yeah. line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eric Lynch got the ball on the one-yard line and fumbled, and the Lions lost. And I just remember Art. Art was in the studio. I was in this little update area, almost like a cubicle, and Art came out, and I said, hey, you know, I know it's my first Lions game that I'm working, but, like, why wasn't Barry Sanders getting the ball there? And Art said, Matthew? He was the only – I mean, not, nobody calls me Matthew outside of, like, my mother and right. Art. And – uh he goes, Matthew, you know, Art's, you know, moving around. He goes, welcome to Detroit. This is the line. <laughs> Art gets on and starts screaming. Courtney's screaming. And I'm like, this is the greatest show I'll ever work on. These guys are hilarious. Just, you know, and so that was my start and my kind of my maiden voyage at DFN. And I, I spent 13 years there. I uh, was there the day that, in 09, the day of the Obama inauguration, where basically uh, then the then company, Clear Channel, destroyed the station. They fired everybody. Stoney, Wojo, uh, Sean Belisian, uh, Jamie Samuel, everybody. They all got fired. I didn't get fired. They kept me. Uh, I was, I left a couple months later on my own, but uh, I was there 13 years. What a ride it was. And it was really a terrific place to be. It was a lot of fun and great people. And the station really made a dent. It really did. But at the end, once the ticket started up and they were on FM and they had all the teams Eventually, DFN kind of died. Talk about your how, the, the evolution of your role at DFN from the time you started to the time you left. No, they hired me to be on air. Okay. I, I, so I, I started doing updates at night for the sports doctors. That was Art and Terry Foster. I worked weekends, pretty much worked almost every day. And then I, I was doing reporting. So I would go to games. Um, we had, Like I said, I think we had the Vipers broadcast. So there were a lot of nights they didn't need me to do uh, sports cast. So I would go to a wings game with a giant Morantz tape recorder and microphone, and I would get sound after the game and come back to the station, which was down on Woodbridge and Joseph Campo back there back in the day. And I would just load the audio in for the next morning. So um, either it was Dave at the time, Pash or Jennifer Hammond had, 
had audio for the next day for their sports cast. So uh, covered the wings that first year that they won the cup in 97. I was in Anaheim. I was in Philly. I was in St. Louis, all the road trips. The one thing that I'll say, uh, you know, our, the staff and uh, the, the management, you know, led by uh, Henson, the program director, they really were big on, we got to be there. Our mic flag has to be in all the shots and, and we've got to have the audio. We've got to have the ability for Regner's post-game show for, for me to call in with audio, with interviews. And uh, we covered it right, man. That was the old days of doing it on the radio. I mean, back then, too, there was a lot of competition. We wanted to get the best stuff from the game and beat WWJ and beat WJR. And uh, we did. I mean, DFN, maybe in the ratings and maybe because it was a small startup AM station, didn't show it. We weren't a juggernaut like WWJ or JR, but we, we, we had our niche, man, and we owned it. So I was always on air there. The only time I ever produced a show was uh, when I worked at the ticket for uh, Valenian Foster and uh, the then program director and the late legend Tom Bigby asked me, I need you to, I need you to babysit these guys and, and run their show. I'm like, I'm not a producer. I'm an on-air guy. He goes, just go in there and help them. And we actually had a great time together. So, uh, but other than that, no, I was on air and yeah, that's... that morphed into Pistons pre and post games, which we pushed for when the team, when the Pistons got to WDFN, that was like a huge thing because DFN never had the, any of the teams. The teams were always either on JR or CBS 950, 1270, whatever. So we got, getting the teams was really, really big, or at least getting the Pistons was a real big deal. And I went right to Greg and said, can I do the pre and post game? Can we make the shows longer? Can we do hours after the games? And and uh, and the Pistons were all for it too with Pete Scorich, and so uh, I did that for eleven years. It was great. I do want to ask you a couple. So you mentioned a couple things, and I want to ask you about about your days at DFN. Uh, you know, Stoney and Wojo was probably the you know the 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 highlight of, of DFN. But I was a big Jamie and 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 Greg fan more because of Jamie. But I want to ask you about Greg Henson because to me he's an enigma. Like the only rejection letter I ever got from a job I didn't get was from Greg Henson. So how is this guy, the asshole, you know what I mean? He was like he was like pushing buttons and he pissed a lot of people off. What was it like working for Greg Henson? Um, this is interesting. Uh, I don't want to put you in a bad speak. spot if it's not good. Okay, no, we, no, we can I'm, cut this I'm not, out, man. Ron, I don't you want asked me to be on the show. I'm not going yeah, to no. hold back. Oh, uh, go ahead. We don't speak. We don't speak. Uh, we haven't spoken in years. Um. Greg is a very good programmer, uh, was one of the best I ever worked for. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer this question. I, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to be I, nice I didn't know that. We can cut, I can cut this out, man. No, I don't no, want to no, get no, not cut no. it out. Okay. No, we're not. You asked the question. Yeah. I told you when you emailed okay. me, I'm going to say something. Okay. Excellent programmer. That show was really, really funny. Those guys were polar opposites. Like you said, Jamie was the liberal from the west coast greg was a conservative from the midwest but it worked that show was excellent those guys had their moments off the off air certainly uh they were never best friends you know stony wojo really hung out a lot uh you know they would go to dinner after the show they they were closer from a personal standpoint than certainly uh jamie and greg um uh, Henson to me, when, when he hired me and brought me in, he let me be me. He, he, he did. I, I don't have a, can't really say anything bad about the past. Uh, I have other things I could say about 
more recent past with him, but I'll leave it at that. But no, he let me do my thing, and uh, he pushed really hard for me to get the Detroit Titans job for play-by-play, which I appreciated, the Pistons stuff. Uh, he was all over it, like, hey, you want to do an hour and a half after a West Coast game? Are you sure? I said, yes, that, that was good to go. He was, And so, like I said, the Jamie and Greg show, all those shows, like, it was innovative. They used drops. They had fun. They did a lot of guide talk, you know. When when DFN was really clicking, there were days that there wasn't much sports going on, and the and all the shows had full phone lines and had fun, and it wasn't necessarily always about sports. And Greg recognized that. Rona, the program director after him, recognized that, and they realized, hey, let's make this more of a guy talk station. And people really, it became a fraternity, and the listeners were a part of it. It was, uh, it worked. It really how, did. How important was Don Swindell to the success of that station in your purview? Oh my God. You're pulling crazy names, Ron. How'd you know Don's? I've had, you know Don I've had him on the podcast. I've had him on the podcast. Oh my. Is I don't know how Don is doing. I wish I could see him and talk to him. I would love to. Uh, Don was incredible. I mean, he was innovative. He was the, you know, he was the backstage guy. I mean, all the songs and the drops and he was Claude Lemieux. Was, he was Claude Lemieux. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was the voice of Claude Lemieux, and gosh, you're you're taking me way back. He was amazing. He was, uh, you know, he was a different bird for sure. He wore his black coat and black pants every day. I mean, it could have been 90 <laughs> degrees in the summer, and he's walking in in his his all black gear. And uh, but uh, you had to have those underrated behind the scenes guys um, and production to make it sound good. And Don. Don was a genius, is a genius. Coming no back question. to you, you've uh, Chuck Daly, Scotty Bowman, Jim Leland, you've covered some high-profile personalities. Do you have a favorite story maybe you could share with us about some, something that happened while you were covering one of these great uh, great interviews? Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll share this with you. Um, there were some, you're right, There were Scotty Bowman was just a total enigma. Uh, there were days that Scotty Bowman was totally cool with me. I had my microphone, my tape recorder, and he didn't care. And then there were other days where he would grab me after a scrum and say, what are you doing with that audio? I don't give me the tape. And he asked for the tape a couple times. And wow. I said, for what? And he's like, you're going to take that and chop it up and make me say something that I didn't say. Don't do that. And I said, I'm not going to do that. Whatever you, well, I promise. Like, I think he thought he was so paranoid sometimes but what a what a legend! What a genius to be around! And uh, you know those wings teams were those guys were all really really cool. So that was an easy team to cover. Um, you know, I did the when I did the Pistons for ten eleven years, and I, you know, off the top of my head, I could tell you I was I had two years with Rick Carlisle, two years with Larry Brown, three years with Flip Saunders, so that's seven. One year of Michael Curry, that's eight. Two years of John Kuster is ten and two years of Lawrence Frank. So that's 12. So it was 12, really 12 years. So I could tell you the coaches that easily because the Pistons, while they were on a, a, a great run back then, six straight conference finals, they went through coaches like, like underwear, unfortunately. Right. Um, but, you know, Larry Brown, you know, I was a Rick Carlisle guy. We all were. Rick developed such a relationship with us at DFN, me especially because I was there every game. Um and it, it, so when Rick got fired, we were devastated and we were blindsided by it. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, accu- there were some that accused DFN of being, of shilling for Rick and being Rick Homers. Well, they brought in Larry Brown, who obviously won a championship. I was not a Larry Brown fan. Um, and uh, I think he tells a lot of 
fibs, including recently he was on a podcast with uh, with Mike Stone recently and just telling crazy stories that some most of them are not true. But he won a championship. But uh, the second year, um, uh, there was a, a, a Pistons loss to the Pacers in a playoff series in 05 while they were on their way to, the, to another uh, championship run. They didn't win it, obviously. But And uh, there was a post-game show, and someone called in and asked why Carlos Arroyo didn't play. And I was an Arroyo guy. I loved him as a backup point guard. He and I got along. And I said, Carlos Arroyo not playing tonight is a disgrace. How do you not have Carlos Arroyo out there? And Anthony Johnson was killing them, blah, blah, blah. Next day, a phone call from uh, Kevin Grigg, who's still Pistons PR, and, and KG's a friend of mine, and he said, you got to come to practice this morning. And I went, why? And he's like, Larry wants to see you. And I was like, oh, geez. You know, so I, uh, I go to practice, and you're at the practice facility up there in Auburn Hills, and they're shooting free throws. They let us in, and, and Larry's about to do his media scrum, and he doesn't even do media. He, said, he points to his office, and uh, I follow him along with Kevin, and he just dresses me down in his office. He goes really? off on me. You called me a disgrace. Uh, that's a personal attack. Who do you think you are? This isn't what you want to be like Howard Stern. Do you want to be a shock jock? And he was going, you know, my, my kids and my wife were in the car. My wife has to hear you call me a disgrace. And I was like, I did not call you a disgrace. I, I said it was a disgrace. And it was. There's a difference. And we were arguing semantics. And thank goodness Kevin was there because Kevin's so even keeled. And he's like, hold on a second. You know, coach, maybe Matt didn't. Matt wouldn't take a personal shot like that. He's been with us for years. Um, but Matt, maybe you shouldn't have used that term. So, you know, we ironed it out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to be, to be dressed down by a Hall of Famer in his office was pretty crazy. Chapter one in your uh, book. I had to tell him, Chapter like, one in your book, Some of your assistant coaches are friends of mine. <laughs> like Pat Sullivan and, and Dave Hanners. Like, ask Pat and Dave. I'm not trying to be some shock jock. I was just, I tell like it is after these games. I work for the team. I, I know they pay me. I'm not going to, I know the rules. And uh, so that was kind of a cool story. Well, I, I, I to compound on that story because that's a, that's a fine line you walk. You mentioned you're paid by the team, but if you're not real, the fans see through that. How do you walk that line? Well, let me say this. I mean, when I, in working for Bill Davidson, Tom Wilson, Pete Scorich, and the folks at the Palace, they were insanely cool to me. All right, nowadays things are different. You work for the team. I mean, listen to some of the local broadcasts here. All right, listen to the Tigers television broadcast. All right, it's 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 a shill session. It just is. Tigers down 10 nothing. Let's go to the studio. <laughs> well, they had some good at-bats, Mick. No, they didn't. They lost 10 nothing. Shut up. Like, you can't fool Detroit fans. This is the best sports city in the country. I'm not even from here. I'm wearing, as you see, my Cleveland Guardians shirt. Detroit sports is amazing. You can't fool these people. How could I get on the air after a Pistons game where they lost? I was on the air after Rasheed Wallace left Robert Oria alone. What was I going to say after the game? Well, Rasheed tried. Well, they, they, they almost, no, I had to get on there and say, Rasheed Wallace blew, his assi blew the assignment. How do you double Ginobili in the corner and leave Robert Ori open? It's a gigantic mistake. And everybody called in and some callers were shredding Rasheed. But he knew he screwed up. I, no, but no one, Pete, Mr. Davidson, Tom, nobody ever said, Matt, don't do this, don't do that. I think I got yelled at one time in 12 years for a comment. I think I referred to Pat Riley once as Pat the Rat Riley. 
mm-hmm. they're like, don't do that. You're on an NBA broadcast. So I apologize. You know, I didn't apologize to Pat Riley, but you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. for the most part, they let me be me because I had to keep it real. I had relationships with the coaches and players, Joe Dumars and I had a relationship. So I, I showed up and I just, as long as I wasn't Ron taking personal shots, I wasn't calling a player small or ugly or, or said something about his family. I kept it basketball and the guys respected that. And so that's kind of how I did it. My next question is about the Pistons because I, I when I look back at that uh, that that team with Rashid and and Billups and that that championship team that that came out of nowhere. What was it like covering that team? Because it wasn't like the bad boys where they had a couple years run up. You know, they were just like it seems like they won fifty games out of nowhere, and Dumars just put this this lightning in a bottle together, and they they should have won two. The next year, they you know, some stuff happened, but what was it like covering that team? Did you know before they won the title that they could make a run like that? Well, like I said, we started at DFN in 0102, getting the rights to the team, and so for pre and post game hosts, it's like, all right, you're going to sit courtside, you're going to be next to George, John Long, Rick Mahorn, Albert Dale was our engineer. He's the best best I've ever worked with, along with Al Rosenberg. Those two guys who were both based out of Detroit are amazing engineers, um, and then Mark Champion and and Rick Mahorn, all these guys. So you're courtside, so you're getting a front row seat. You hear the conversations. You hear what's going on. And first year, we had no idea. We're like, who's Rick Carlisle? Like, we knew he played for the Celtics. He was an assistant under Larry Bird with the Pacers. He's coming in. He's got Jerry Stackhouse and just a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, role players. Ben Wallace, no one knew who that was. Chucky Atkins, uh, Zelico Rabracha, John Barry. So it was really, it came out of nowhere that first year with Cliff Robinson too. They won 50 games. And it's like, and I tell people all the time, people say, what's the best coaching job you've ever seen? 0102 Detroit Pistons and Rick Carlisle is right up there. How the hell do they win 50 games? It's amazing. So then you're going, there's something here. And then Dumars makes the Rip Hamilton trade. He signs Chauncey Billups. So then, yeah, when they get Larry Brown and it's like, all right, they're going for it. And then when they traded for Rasheed Wallace, you kind of knew something was happening. I never thought they'd beat the Lakers. I didn't pick them to beat the Lakers. Um, but, you know, that was that was an amazing time and something special. Loudest, one of the loudest buildings I've ever been in. The Palace was just the best. Uh, what a building. It's a shame they're still not there. I, I get it, but I miss it. I do too. Uh, but yeah. I, I, no, I never thought they'd win at all. Uh, and to go to six straight conference finals is, is a pretty big accomplishment. I know people Still to this day, might thumb their nose a little at Joe Dumars for the end, but uh, what he did to build that team and really never have that "quote unquote" superstar was pretty amazing. What is your favorite? Before we move on from DFN, what was your favorite memory? Do you have one or two favorite memories of of your time there? Because I mean, that's a long time to be at one location. Um, geez, yeah, th- I mean, thirteen years. So you're talking about uh, a couple of parades. You know, you mentioned Jamie Samuelson. God rest his soul. What a Horrible loss for this community that he's no longer with us. Um, Jamie and I, the first year the Wings won the Cup, Iserman's on that last parade um, car with the Cup, and we start uh, walking walking behind Iserman, and everybody just followed us. It was like uh, Woodward Avenue. They would never allow that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but Woodward Avenue, that, that first parade and just the coverage that we had with art, um, and, and, and just everybody on the staff, we all pulled in one direction. Um, and I just, that's a memory that I have. It was a, 
it was a blast. Those 13 years started, like I said, at the garage. We went to the Rusty Tower in Southfield, and then we ended up at uh, in Farmington Hills um, at 12 and Halstead. So there were a lot of great memories. Uh, like I said, the Wings run was cool. Uh, I remember being in the building for Barry Sanders' uh, breaking the record at the Silverdome. A lot of great. The Pistons, all the Pistons stuff I did, uh, the friendships that I made. Like I said, Albert Dale is one of my best friends, and we worked side by side. I miss not getting a chance to work with Albert. Um, that, that I'll cherish for sure. You know, you mentioned Barry. I love, and most people forget this, but I, I had his poster up. I, I, Barry Sanders, to me, was I, I think he's the greatest running back of all time. I mean, say what oh, yeah. you want about Emmitt Smith and Jim Brown, you know, another one we just recently lost. But a lot of people forget, after two games, he only had 53 yards. So 14 <laughs> games, he got 2,000 yards. What a season. And then that Jets game. I mean, were you oh, yeah. in the building when that happened? Talk about yeah. that. Yeah, actually, I had brought my family. My my dad had come in from Cleveland. I think my brother and some others had come in just to go to a game. And we didn't realize that that game would have that much meaning with Barry, the noise level that was there. Um, uh, 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 why, why am I drawing a blank on Brown? Uh, or the linebacker, Reggie Brown, uh, getting injured on the field. And the place just, you could hear a pin drop because he wasn't moving. So a lot of emotions. Silverdome was just insane yeah man the, the just it was it, that press box the silver one was the, just the greatest because you were right on top of that and the you know being to tiger stadium too that's another great memory i mean my the last game of tiger stadium i despise the tigers ron i'm not a tiger fan i hope they lose every game i don't like them i've never liked them i grew up in cleveland where jack morris and kirk gibson and these guys lou whitaker would come in and kick our ass so i've never <laughs> liked them but i had so much respect for that last game what the organization did how they brought all the old players back. Ernie Harwell shutting the place down. Ernie was so good to me. Um, that was also a pretty cool moment to be there for that as a non-Tiger fan. First off, it's weird driving by the old Pontiac Silverdome location, and there's a big Amazon mm -hmm. plant. That's bizarre. But you mentioned yeah. Ernie Harwell. Yeah. i got to ask you this because I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet him a couple of times. Ernie Harwell, when he was talking with you, you were the only one in the room. He never looked past right. you. I mean, to me, he was a, a, like the saint of broadcasting, and he was so good to the people who came behind you. To you know, Sean Belegian talks about this. There's several people I've talked to uh, about how generous Ernie Harwell was with his time. Could you share an Ernie Harwell story? Yeah, I mean, obviously, growing up in Cleveland, my dad. You know, we had Herb Score, who was a legend. Don't get me wrong. On the old three W E W W three eleven hundred A M in Cleveland. We were Indians fans, obviously, now Guardians. And uh, we had Herb, and Herb wasn't good. Like, Herb was a legend because he pitched for Cleveland, but he wasn't good. And my dad used to say, and this is another piece of who I am, he would put on 760 in the car, and he would say, listen to this guy. And we're like, why are we listening to Detroit Tigers? He's like, just listen. And you could get 760 as clear as a bell in Cleveland. And it was Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey. And you listen to this and go, oh, my God. Why can't we have somebody like that? Now, the Indians or Guardians have a guy like that now, and Tom Hamilton. Tom's the best there is now. But Ernie was so good, and you could watch Vin Scully on the Game of the Week on NBC. So as a kid, you're going, man, this is how baseball is supposed to be done. So when I got to Detroit, and I was working at DFN, and I'm covering games at Tiger Stadium, you're right, this guy's walking through the hallways, and you know, you ride up the elevator with him, and it's like, hey, Ernie, I just want to introduce myself, Matt Derry at DFN. Oh, yeah, the diesel. I know <laughs> he knew who I was. You know, and I was like, what? You listen to us? And he goes, every day. 
Wow. And it, we became buddies. Like, you know, he came by the middle innings when he wasn't doing the games. Uh, he would come by the press box and just say, oh, the old diesel, how are your Indians doing? Like, just the nicest man. Amazing. Amazing. Now, I know uh, we had talked a little bit about it earlier that, the, you know, when uh, 950 came along and they were able to go to 97, won the ticket, and that kind of was writing on the wall for 1130 because how are you going to compete with an FM station? Talk about, and then you mentioned they cleaned house and then a short time you left later. What did you do when you left the fan? Did you have a plan or did you, where did you go from there? Yeah, so um, it was really sad. Obviously, Clear Channel knew what they were doing with the timing of everything because of the Obama inauguration and our first African-American president. It was such a historic day for the country that uh, they knew, all right, if we lay off 30% of our workforce across the country and blow some stations up, which included DFN, it'll be on page seven instead of page one. Right. And that's exactly what happened. So you're right. For Stoney Wojo and all these people to get fired... They kept us around, so it was myself, Rob Otto, and Matt Shepard stayed around because they kept us to do the sports updates during national sports programming on Fox Sports Radio. So it was bizarre. And Rona, the program director, was still there. So Rona, when they're handing out these brown envelopes in the hallway outside of the update studio, and I'm seeing my friends all in tears, and all these people are like, they're, you know, the Jim Rome show is at noon. So I was going to do the updates that day and then go up to the Palace. I think for I think it was a Pistons game that night. Um, but there was not going to be a Stony Wojo in the afternoon. There were just going to be a national programming. I remember uh, Otto called me and goes, do I still come in? I said, have you been fired? He said, no. I said, yeah, you got to come in and do updates at top 20 and 40 during Fox Sports Radio. And he's like, what are we doing? I said, well, it's a job. Get in here. So... I talked to Rona and Rona's like, just keep coming in and keep doing Pistons pre and post game. And I was doing Detroit Titans still. And they were still on our air. So I, my job really didn't change. But within days of the whole debacle, uh, Tom Bigby, who was running the ticket, and the ticket was becoming a, a force. They were our competitors, but they were beating us in the ratings too. Tom Bigby called me and... Uh, you know, I never thought in a million years I would go, as they said, uh, Ron, in that day, about those days across the street. But we met at Kirby's Coney Island on uh, Northwestern and 10 Mile, right right by Capital Mortgage Funding, where they used to be. And I met with Big B and another guy. Um, and, you know, Big Tom was just a legend in the business. He was, when I was in college, everybody said, apply for jobs at every sports radio station. See if you can get a weekend update shift or whatever. But don't send your tape to WIP. Well, why not? Well, there's this evil, mean program director there named Tom Bigby. He will never hire a college kid, no matter if you're coming from AER, Northwestern, Ohio U, any of these great programs, no chance. So it's like, all right, I won't apply to WIP. <laughs> you know, I would have gone anywhere out of college. So right. here I am sitting across the, the booth from Big Tom in his all-black uh, shirt and, and pants, and, and he's just, like, talking to me like, you know, he, in only Big B fashion, he's just killing the station, DFN. He's talking about how he beat them and how he destroyed them. And I'm like, and I, well, I kind of talked back a little bit at him. I'm like, but you know, it wasn't you, it was budget cuts. And he goes, no, 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 I destroyed him. I, and it was, and we, we actually had a lot of fun with it. And then he, he's like, you got to come, acro come across the street. And I delayed it as long as I could because I was getting paid to do Pistons, Titans, sure. and DFN all at once. So I was triple dipping and I... Finally, like in March, he called me and he's like, are you coming or not? Like in the, his country draw draw that he had. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And I had to go back to the station and the general manager, Till, and I'm like, I'm leaving. And she's like, why? And I'm like, why? It's the place burned down. There's nothing left. She's like, did you sign a no compete? 
It's probably in your file. I said, that paper was handed to me six different times over the last 10 years. I never signed it ever. She's like, yeah, you did. I said, no, I didn't. You can go through my file. I went, wow. went into Charlene Little's office in HR, looked through my file, wasn't there. I left on a Monday and I started at the ticket. How on did you get away from not signing that? That's insane. I don't know. I'm sure they wanted to lock Maybe you Maybe the up. smartest thing I ever did, Ron. Like, you're right, because this goes back to Greg running the station where he said, can you do me a favor and sign this? I never did. Good so for I start, you. literally left DFN in March. I don't even remember what day it was. And I started, that was a Monday I said goodbye. And Wednesday I was on uh, doing afternoon updates uh, pretty much on WWJ and DFN uh, and 97 on the ticket to start. And then just the ticket after that. And like I said, then I moved on to help Mike and Terry show. And uh, Pistons came over. So I got back on the pre and post game at the ticket doing Pistons. And so, uh, yeah. I was I was working at 97.1. To me, Terry Foster is one of the nicest men I've ever met. Talk to me about working with Terry Foster and Mike Fellini because that was that was the show for a long time. Yeah, it's funny. I've been asked before, like, what's the best show? Is it Stony Wojo of all time in Detroit sports, or is it Valenti and Foster? And it's a tough, it's a tough call because they were both so successful, both had their their runs. Um, I will say this, I, I, and I mean, and I'm kind of not answering your question, but Mike Valenti is the best I ever worked with. Uh, it's, it's not even close. Um, from a broadcasting you, standpoint, need, right? From a broadcasting from standpoint. From a sports talk host standpoint, yes. Well, if you're talking about hosting a talk show, there's no one better. I have not worked with anybody better. I worked with Les Levine. Les was incredible. I worked with Stoney Wojo. I mentioned Jamie and Greg. There were some really good ones. Really good ones. I, I worked with Damon the Dog Perry. He was entertaining. I worked with Rob Parker and Mark Wilson. They were good. Um, the, all the guys at the ticket are all pretty good. But no, the best the best is Mike. Uh, Mike didn't need help. I mean, he needed me to help. I was older than him and older than him. So we were kind of had a, we had a kinship and a bond. He listened to me. Mike didn't listen to a lot of people. When there were days where he started off shows or he was in one of his moods or he was mad at Terry or Terry was mad at him. And they had their moments, but he listened to me. I would tell him, cut it out. You're being immature. You're wrong. I'm leading with this today. I don't care what Bigby says. I'm like, no, we're going to listen to him today. And he listened to me. And we gained a, there were days I was wrong. But when it comes down to it, Valenny and Foster, to me, was the cream of the crop of any show because they just, there, was, there was something about how they prepared for a show, how they were always there and on time. Uh, every day at two o'clock and Mike didn't need help. If there was a day Terry was at a Pistons practice or had to write a column, Mike could handle it on his own and not miss a beat. I still think to this day, Mike doesn't need, need any, any co-host or help. No, He's that he doesn't. Um, but he, he and I, he and I got along. We had our moments. There were days we wanted to kill each other, but, uh, and Terry was the perfect foil for him. Terry was established in this market. Terry had so many friends. Terry would go out every night if he could and tell his wife, Hey, I'm going to some downriver bar by myself to meet up. And he would do it. And so Mike was the opposite. It was, it was, it made for great radio that Mike could get on the air and rip on Terry and Terry would rip back and say, you're so antisocial. What's wrong with you? And Mike said, what's wrong with me? You're going out to bars by yourself. You're a married man with kids, but it made for great radio. Like he doesn't need it. He could do a four hour show and just do the whole thing because much like Drew Lane can take a subject and, and present it to you four or five different ways. And by the end, you know, you start mad, then he's laughing. He's, he's that good. No. 
He is, and he's still really good. And I know that there's plenty of people that will say, well, he's been here too long, or I'm a Michigan fan, I can't listen. But he rips on his own team, too. I mean, he is a major, major, you know, Michigan State fan, but he's not a slappy. Mike Mike called it years ago. Mike said, our football program at MSU is in trouble. Mark D'Antonio is losing it. And everyone went, oh, my God, like, what? What's Mike doing? Now, he was also killing Harbaugh, okay? <laughs> but he was killing D'Antonio, too. And there are, were slow days where, where, where you'd go, you know, and I'm probably telling tales out of school here, but there were days where the midday show, okay, Doug and Scott would leave the studio and turn to Mike and say, we couldn't get any phone calls today. It's going to be slow. And Mike would say to me, did you hear that? And I said, yeah. And he goes, watch this. Mike would light the lines in 10 seconds, 10, wow. 10, 10 minutes. He would have a topic that was so compelling that nobody else at the station was coming up with that just engaged the audience it didn't matter the timing. It could be June or July, slow time for sports talk. Oh, gosh, what are you going to do during June and July? There's nothing happening except Tiger baseball. And Mike would say, I, I got something, and he would come up with a football topic. Most times it was football because football is king, and you got to talk football every day, and Mike knew that. And Bigby pounded us on that. Uh, but Mike would come up with something that was so compelling that would light the lines up, and no one else could do that, no one else. Talk to me about the difference between working at DFN and 97 won the ticket. For you, from your perspective. Well, like I said, I mean, DFN was a lot of fun and it was a lot of slapstick and drops and guide talk. And then you got to the ticket and Bigby, Tom was amazing. Don't get me wrong. He was uh, an incredible programmer and a Hall of Famer. But Tom would, Tom agreed with guide talk. He, he wanted non-sports too. But there were callers at DFN that were calling every day, regulars. Um, you know, KC and this guy and that guy and this woman um, you know, I, I, the names escape me right now. So I apologize if any of you are watching and they were like family members, you know, Plymouth Jim. Okay. These guys would call every day and Stony Wojo put them on every day. Jamie Gregg put them on every day. So, uh, Belizean, all these people would put these folks on Greg Brady, same thing. Um, Bigby had a rule callers call in once a week. I do not want regulars. I don't want you call it, cut them off after 30 seconds, you know, a caller would sometimes would call in and we had this giant window when we worked in Farmington Hills and I was in the studio running the board, doing updates and producing Mike and Terry's show. And Tom, big Tom would walk by the studio window and he would go like this. He would wow. go wrap it up, meaning get rid of this caller. And I'm like, and I would go out there and I go, dude, the caller had good points. They were arguing with Mike and he's like, nope, cut him off. Or I'm going to start cutting him off. I'm, he like had buttons in his office. Oh. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So that was different. He that could not have been fun. Well, it was not as fun as DFN. We still had fun, but yeah, Tom lurked, okay? Greg didn't lurk like that. Rona didn't lurk like that at DFN. Tom lurked for sure, but I learned so much from him, and I understood. You're right. I would get in the car, and I would listen to some caller, let's say, on the night show or whatever, and I would go, God, Tom was right. These callers are, are they're, sometimes they're, a, they're an air suck, and so he was right. But that was the different. Those were kind of the differences. And again, having the teams, you know, the ticket, I think the ticket's ever been accused of overly shilling, but like it was weird to be at a station where, oh my gosh, we had the Tigers on the ticket that night. You had the Pistons on J, you had the Wings on 1270, whatever it was, this relationship with the teams, it was like you spent 13 years at, at DFN. We had, we had the Pistons and we had, you know, the University of Detroit, some other things, but to have all the teams was, was pretty cool. Now, also there, you had your own show, but you also worked with Drew Sharp. What was it like working with him? 
So that was at 105. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. Um, let, let me go on to that. No, so you're, you're out of yourself, but you're good. Yeah. So when I was at the ticket, so I was with Mike and Terry. And then in 2013, uh, there were some rumors about another station starting up uh, at Greater Media, which is now Beasley, uh, 105.1. And so I can't get into all the details on this, but uh, there were some phone calls made. There were some people that I had worked with in the past at other stations that were there that, uh, you know, lobbed some calls my way. I had an agent at the time. Uh, who I also don't no, no longer talk to, uh, but uh, and I said and they said don't involve your agent. But I ended up having a couple of meetings, and uh, it turned out that 105.1 was starting that station, building it around Drew Lane, uh, Drew, Mark Fellhauer, and that crew, and they were going to do afternoons, and so they needed to fill in certainly mornings, middays, and nights. And uh, they came to me and said, do you want to do noon to three and be Drew Lane's lead-in? And I never really, Ron, wanted my own show. I was never wanting to be a talk show host. I wanted to be a play-by-play right. guy. I wanted to be the next Blaha or the next Mark Champion. And I had done a fill-in play-by-play for Mark when he was doing the Lions, George when he was doing MSU. So I had 40, 50 games under my belt over 10, 11 years, 12 years with the Pistons. So I got a taste of it, and I loved it. And play-by-play was my thing. But now at that point, it's like it's 2013. Um, I had gone through a divorce in 2006 and so my goals had changed professionally my kids unfortunately um moved out of state so i was going to see them every other weekend so things changed for me um my goals weren't necessarily the same anymore and so this opportunity came about it was a money opportunity too which you you, you couldn't pass up and still had white uh, my new wife and my kids uh, my stepson so it was like opportunity to go do my own show why not give it a chance and my time was kind of running out at the ticket anyway, just in terms of, I was just working with Mike and Terry. It was four great years, but let's try something else. So uh, I did that and I ended up, like you said, doing the, the midday show was the most fun because it was my show with Tom Mazaway, with Ron Crichton, our producer. And we had a lot of fun. They moved in afternoons after Drew Lane left. That was an unmitigated disaster. I was going up against Valeni. I was getting killed. I knew I was going to get killed. Uh, and I was working with Drew Sharp, who was fun to work with sort of i mean good guy and unfortunately he passed away way too young but we didn't connect and click it wasn't sure. a fun show and you know he had his routine of ripping on michigan ripping on the lions and it was every day it was almost like it, it wasn't that fun and the station wasn't doing all that well and then i got fired in 2016 but the station was going under but i was one of the first casualties never you know i had been fired at hk but that was a sales situation this was a 602 show ends on a friday i'm taking my wife up in march of 2016 to traverse city for her birthday weekend and they pull me into the large conference room with the brown envelopes and the general manager and the controller and i'm like i'm starting to laugh i'm like wow steve's steve is our gm i'm like wow steve brown envelope really and he's like matt matt it's okay and i was like just tell me how long my severance package is what is it i, I want to take my wife up to traverse city <laughs> So, yeah, getting fired was pretty humbling. You know, I often say that getting fired in radio is very much like being fired as an MLB manager. You know, you can get to the next job. But, I, I mean, my friend Renee Vitale got let go from 93.1 last week. Now I'm hearing I heard. I heard knew, on Monday, right? They knew that they, yeah. now they have a new AI uh, station, I think, in Texas where it's all run by AI voices. So there's obviously less and less work for people like you. Uh, and myself for that matter. But 
it, it's never fun getting fired, no matter where what no. it is. It's just it's it's a kick in the teeth. Um, was that was a, it was? But I, I will say this: I I, you know, my wife uh, Heather is is my best friend, and she's just so beautiful inside and outside, but also so wise. And she was she was saying to me before when the, when they moved me to Afternoon Drive. And I said, let's, let's make this happen. Let's do this right. And I didn't want afternoon drive because I didn't want to go up against Mike. The station was built around Drew Lane. And we had, we had uh, the second program director we had there was so bad and had no pulse of the city, didn't get along with Drew, and then Drew left. And it's like, uh-oh. They built the station around the guy. The guy's got a legendary following. What are we doing here? And they're like, well, Matt, you're up next. And I'm like, sweet, I'm going up against Mike. <laughs> like this, you know, Mike and Terry, forget it. And uh, so that was hard. I knew this, but but my wife had kept saying, you you need to be ready. This is not going to last. The station sucks. And it's like, uh-oh. You know, and I, but I kept thinking, we can do it. We can survive. And then obviously it didn't. And 105.1 actually now doing whatever it is, old school hip-hop, It's they've gone pretty long with that format. But this made a lot of good friends. Greater media, there were some really, really good people in that building. Tim and Melissa Morbido, who are dear friends of mine and sales were in that building at the time. And uh, Dana Zimmerman, there were some amazing, amazing people in that building that are still there. Uh, Scotty OJ in productions, the best. So I like the building. I like the people, but yeah, that was two and a half years that you go. The station really, really never had a chance. They never really were given the right, right. tools. And then they went after the teams and they almost thought they had the Red Wings and Tigers. And then I remember that. That's another story of another day, and that, that didn't work out, so it was it was hard. You've done things on the air, probably more things on radio than you have as far as a play-by-play person. Do you get butterflies when you turn on that mic to be play-by-play because that's what your passion is? Or talk is there a difference between turning on the mic at, say, the fan or even 101.5 than opening up the mic to do a basketball game? How is that different for you? Um, because I was so young and I was calling games at 19 and 20 in college, I think the butterflies kind of went away. I had such a passion for it. Um, to be honest, the Oakland gig was color. I actually oh, okay. was doing color for a few years, uh, working with uh, Neil rule up there. The athletic director at Oakland, Jeff Konya came after me. I was still doing some TV for university of Detroit, but they had eliminated radio. Then I came back to do some TV games. I was nervous about doing analyst work. I went from Oakland and the Eastern to work with Chad Bush too, for two years. And that was awesome. Chad is amazing. We had a great time. Best partner I ever had, uh, at least having fun with was Chad Bush, but I was more nervous doing some color. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not necessarily an analyst. I know the game and I could do it. You know, Konya put so much faith in me and said, I want you to come over to Oakland. Plus we'll steal you from Detroit. They had that rivalry still do. And so I'm like, cool. But that was when I was a little nervous. I'm like, wait a minute. Do I know when to stop? I knew as a play-by-play guy when I wanted my color guy to talk and not talk. And uh, that's why when I did games with Rick Mahorn, we had such great chemistry. Um, so that was a little nerve-wracking at first. But no, I, butterflies, I mean, not really. Because like I said, in college, that was... To, to have to go and do it at Syracuse, to have to make tapes and go to the top of the dome and be around fans... And plus, press play and record and broadcast. And these fans are turning around like, you know, who's this? Who are these kids? What are they doing? Why are they, you know, that was, I was more nervous doing that because I didn't want to be too loud or obnoxious to these fans. And I wanted the tape to be so good so I could get to the point where I got cleared. That was almost more 
butterflies and actually calling games. You know, I hadn't heard you on the radio for a while, and right down the street from my house, they just built USP, USPBL. This was back in 16. They, they built Jimmy John's yeah. Field, and I come up to the game, and there's Matt Derry as the in-game host. Talk about how that gig came about. Well, like I said, so 2016, I get fired, and now I'm like, what am I going to do next? And I had gone back to uh, 97.1 just to meet with them and try to set it up like, hey, can I come back? Because like I said, I got I got a family and mouths to feed, and I, I would have gone back. Uh, and I had met with Debbie, the general manager, still there, Debbie Kenyon, and Jimmy, the, the program director, and it just didn't work out. Um, I'm not going to get into that, but <laughs> let's just say I wanted to come back. Uh, apparently, there were probably – probably some people there that didn't want me back because I left the first time. Maybe I, right. I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, Valenny and a few others went to bat for me, but it didn't happen. So now it's like, all right, Locked On Lions started. David Locke, the voice of the Utah Jazz, started this, this podcast group and came to me that summer and said, we want to start up a, a, a podcast for foot, NFL and NBA teams. Would you want to do the Pistons? And I said, I would do the Pistons, but can I do the Lions show? Because that's, they're the number one team in town. He's like, sure. So I started doing that. And then um, I, I got in touch with, with, with some good friends that I had worked with, uh, Teresa Doan at the Pistons. And she was going with Andy Appleby to start up USPBL with Dana. And it's right down the street from me. Like you said, you and I are, are East Siders, Ron. And so uh, they said, would you want to uh, MC ribbon cutting the first game? do some interviews and all sorts of things for the first game at Jimmy John's field. And I said, of course I'll do it. I mean, I would love to. And then that turned into come back tomorrow. Uh, can you come back Monday? Or I think the first game I think was on a Friday Ron. So it was like, can you come back Saturday? Can you come back Sunday? And then during that, this was all like sporadic. It was like, Matt, do you want to go on the field in the fifth inning and do some sort of, I go, let's interview the managers right on the field. They're like, do you think they'll do that? I go, this is, <laughs> semi pro this is like yes they this will. isn't the majors maybe and chris newell who is the manager i love you that know, guy love chris a good newell. friend of yours as well as mine a birmingham bloomfield i said to chris i go chris would you do an interview with me on the field during the game and he goes yeah why not so i been, i went back to andy and Teresa. i said let's do this and they're like are you sure i said i got it just give me a mic a handheld put they had one camera at the time put the camera wherever it is on me and we'll do it on the scoreboard and they loved it so then they're like, keep coming back. Well, now I'm like, I can't, am I going to be here every day? Cause I was getting my right. severance. I hadn't gotten a job yet. I was talking to U of D Jesuit about teaching. So for that summer, I was the in-game host and it turned into a whole big thing where the next year we built a studio uh, outside of the, uh, the stadium right there at the entrance. So when fans came in at six 30, I'd be interviewing players and coaches and we made a big thing out of it. So for three or four summers, I was doing that and they, they took care of me financially. It was pretty good. And, uh, that was it. You're right. But people were coming up to me like, dude, Matt Derry from the ticket or DFM. What, what are you doing here? This is like not even professional affiliated baseball. I said, it's I love fun. baseball. It's fun. It's fun. These are good people. These are Chris Newell became a friend. Teresa, Andy was great to me. Why not? And it's 10 minutes from, you know, my wife didn't mind it either because I'd be home at, they try to get the games done early, Ron. You remember the old fireworks snafu? So I was, I was home by 10 o'clock. So it wasn't too bad. I have to tell you, and I've 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 talked to Andy and Dano about this, and I think they've had some difficulties with some groups. But I love they did it on opening day, the first game, and I think they brought it back later in the first season. I don't think they've done it since then. But you know how these these minor league ball teams they'll have like 
novelty shows. And I'll never forget, they had donkeys riding dogs chasing chasing sheep. And I was like, this is the best entertainment I've seen <laughs> on the field. Do you remember that? Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. That was there were some st- things that they there were some things that they tried that worked. There were some things that Teresa and 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 we had I'll say this about I there were there the interns, the best yeah. interns of all time worked at, at USPBL. These kids were put in such positions to succeed um that there were they were stars. Like we had some star interns there. Um and so but you're right. There were some things where the staff would say that was a home run and Andy would come up and go never again. You know, Johnny G who's the voice, the real voice of USPBL. He used to call me the voice of USPBL and I would call him that Johnny, Johnny grab. Who's the PA announcer there and still is, is so talented and is so good. And that makes it for, for people to come sure. to a game and hear Johnny do his thing. And he's the one tossing it to me. And he and I are doing a back and forth banter and, you know, I was interviewing Tom Dion, the, the mayor of Utica, who's become a friend. We had a blast, man. It was fun. And uh, we had great times there. But yes, like you said, sometimes there were some things that uh, Andy liked that no one else liked or everyone liked that Andy didn't like. And Andy, Andy was the boss. So Most people forget Andy Appleby worked for the Pistons during the bad boy days. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's been around for a minute. Very successful. Um, all right. So now, I, I, and I said this to uh, Art last week, is, uh, you know, after Barry left, I became apathetic for the Lions. Like I just, I, I checked in on a couple of times with Calvin Johnson here and there, but I never watched a complete game until this past year. And I, I kind of watched the, the, this game kind of to make fun of my friends who were still spending all these hundreds of dollars for this one and six team. And I, the first game I watched was the first <laughs> game they won, so they went two and six. And then I, and then I watched the whole game the next week, and then the next week, and by the fifth or sixth win in a row. I was watching your podcast, and and like I told Art last week, not only was I drinking the Lion Kool-Aid, I was guzzling it. And a lot of that had to do with not only the play, but I enjoyed watching Locked on the Lions and your podcast. Talk about how your podcast has evolved, because it's been tough. Now it's fun, but it it had to be brutal when you first started this. Talk about how it's evolved for you. No, Ron, I appreciate the kind words. I think we've got a nice following. Uh, it's, It's been a lot of fun to do. Uh, like I said, I full time, I'm running, I'm running marketing and business development for two companies here locally, financial architects, uh, out of Farmington Hills and the Q5 experience, which is business succession planning. Um, so that takes up a lot of my time, but to know that at the end of my day, every day I can, you know, throw the backdrop up, get the mic ready and do 25 to 30 minutes and talk about everybody's favorite team, whether, whether you're lions free, Ron, whether art says he's lions free. This is everybody's team. The Lion, the NFL is king. Like I said, David called me in the spring of 2016 and said, I'm starting this network. You're a Pistons guy. Let's do, you want to host the Lockdown Pistons? I said, I will, but who's doing the Lions? Because I'll take the Lions because NFL is just king. Yeah. And you're right. The first few years of doing the show where it was just audio, now we're on video, we're on YouTube. Um, it, was, it was hard because it's like, what can you say? It's the same crap every single week and the, the, the post game pods were you know it's it's brutal and it was hard especially during the matt patricia era and my listenership went down when patricia was the coach there were many that said when he's gone i'll be back and now my youtube i mean you know they just said uh, uh, in an internal memo with the, all the hosts that the, it, 
as far as all the YouTube shows, I'm number two behind the Steelers. Like the wow. growth has been enormous and I'm not doing anything differently. I don't think I'm this great host. I don't, I think I do a, a good show and I think I know what I'm doing, but like we've grown man because this team's been good and you're right. I'm energized now. There's, these are tough times in June and July to, to muster up content, but not with this team. They are just exciting and they are good. And so it's evolved into a lot more positivity. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I think the two, the two faces, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's just amazing. Who's watching. Um, I've had people on the inside, uh, tell me they're watching, um, um, meaning down in Allen park as I like to call it two, two, two Rodwood drive. So, um, it's growing, it's fun and the network's doing well. So it's really a nice way for me to stay in it. No longer work full time. I do some fill in work at the fan in Cleveland. So I've got equipment here in my basement that I can do some shows at 92, three. And that station's a powerhouse. Andy Roth is as good as PD I've, I've ever worked for. Um, so I can do some radio, but this podcast is cool to keep my, keep my whistle wet in the business. For the few people who haven't watched the podcast, what should people expect if they tune in? I mean, with Locked on Lions, I just, I tell it like it is. I, I think I'm fair. Um, I'm trying to be entertaining. We have good guests. You know, during the season, you know, there were weeks where the Lions were playing, you know, the Jets, and it was CBS's big, you know, they had their number two team do the game. So Ian Eagles doing the game, we had Ian on. Lions play the Packers, goes to NBC, we get Tariko on. Um, the guys from Pro Football Focus have been great. So the PFF guests have been really good. Jim Nagy from ESPN and the Senior Bowl comes on all the time. So we, we try to mix in good guests with opinion, news of the day. Um, I try to interact with the Twitter the followers and the commenters on YouTube. Give some shout-outs and just try to have some fun and come up with some angles that maybe other people uh, aren't coming up with. Um, so... Uh, Right now, it's it's been real positive. So How shocked like, were you at that Carolina loss? I was stunned, even if it was in <laughs> Carolina, because that um, that was the game that I think kept them out of the playoffs. It did. You know, it's funny. Um, I had a couple of people text me from the team that said you are being very unfair this week, and I said why? They got their clocks cleaned, and they're like the field conditions were so bad it was like playing on cement. You're saying on your show they got punched in the mouth. They weren't the tougher team, which they weren't. Carolina had to play on the same you, field. Right. That's what I was saying. Uh, but they were like, that was devastating. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, go back to the Minnesota loss in September and go, if Campbell wouldn't have had Seibert kicking, an injured Austin Seibert trying to 48-yard field. There were other instances during the season, let's be honest. But yeah. now – I expect them to win the division, Ron. I really I do. do. Too. I think they've got to win it. They got to host a playoff game, and then we'll go from there. There's a lot of momentum here. The division's weak. I mean, all of this is lining up, Ron. I just, I just know that some diehards are probably like still keeping their fingers right. crossed. They got to keep Jared Goff healthy because if he gets hurt, that's big trouble. But other than that, um, it's exciting. It's how did you, fun. how did you feel about the draft? It was very uh, enigmatic. At first, I didn't like it. Because uh, I thought running back at 12 and middle linebacker at 18, like, what is this, 1982? Like, what are we doing? But as you look at the grand scheme of it and the big picture, I think Brad Holmes did a really good job. And he's done a, he's drafted well for three years. I mean, Panay Sewell's a stud. Amon Ross St. Brown is an unbelievable pickup. James Houston, Aiden Hutchinson. And people could say, well, you know, anybody could have taken Aiden Hutchinson at two. Well, no, 
they could have taken Thibodeau. They could have pushed for others. Um, I think Brad Holmes has a good pulse on the draft. The kicker situation, not sure about that. Quarterback, we'll have to see. But um, all in all, I think he's done a really good job. What about this quarterback from Tennessee? What should people expect from this kid? He's not a kid. He's kind of an older I mean, guy. Yeah, he is, but I don't think he's going to play this year. I don't think you're going to see Hendon Hooker at all. It wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't even play in the preseason. Like, this is mothballs and getting him holding a clipboard for a full season. I truly do not expect to see him at all. And I agree with you, but I do want to ask you about golf because if you watched the season as it progressed last year, like I did, and, and I didn't see the first seven games. I said I tuned in on when they went two and six. But there's been some kind of, I don't know, negative comments made here and there about golf. Not that there's a lot, but where does that come from in the little bit well, it does? You got to remember, he, he had to take over for Matthew Stafford, who was mostly beloved in this market. And people really liked, and Stafford was kind of the golden boy and put up gaudy numbers and had a better arm. Goff's first year was not very good. Um, you know, his former coach is bashing him, Sean McVay. But last year, like you said, once he got into a nice rhythm and routine with Ben Johnson, he was really, really good. So he's not spectacular. He can't evade the rush. He's not a runner. He's not. You know, Justin Fields, uh, and, I, and you watch my show, I, I call him the Hall of Fields. Everybody's like, oh, he's so great. Oh, And, you know, Carlos Monterey from the free press is writing idiotic columns like, the Lions need their Justin Fields. Oh, really? Justin Fields won three freaking games last year. Jared Goff won nine. Be careful what you wish for. Um, so I think there's always going to be that stigma on Goff because he's not the sexy, run around, make amazing plays quarterback. But all he did was win last year. Let's give him this year and see with even more weapons with Laporta and Gibbs and Jamison Williams for week seven and hopefully beyond. Maybe, maybe this offense can get better. That'd be pretty scary. Locked on Lions, uh, people, uh, how, how often are you going to do shows when the season starts? Every day or? Oh, yeah, no. We're on every day Monday through Thursday now. During the season, it's Monday through Friday. And then once the season starts, I usually go Sunday through Thursday, although now they're trying to coax me into doing more. So, but, you know, even off-season, I'm still doing Monday through Thursday. So you and I are recording on, what, a Wednesday this is? Yeah. So beyond today, beyond tomorrow. And um, just like bringing people content, it's always something going on with the team. There's always some sort of list we could talk about. or um, And, you know, we'll get into usually my summer shows. We talk about the Pro Bowl and who could be first-time Pro Bowlers. There's a lot of different angles that we take. And uh, – it's fun. I really have enjoyed doing it since 2016, So, and it's grown. So It's not the Lions, but I do want to ask you about the, tw- the, the, I almost said the Twins, the Minnesota Vikings, because to me, you want to talk about an enigma of a team. Yeah, I don't know how they won so many games being so horrible defensively. Do you think that they're going to be back in the hunt this year competing with the Lions, or you think they're done? I don't. I think Minnesota's in big trouble. And if they trade Daniil Hunter for cap reasons, and I had Luke Braun, who hosts Locked on Vikings, on yesterday, I mean, they're, they're not going to have any pass rush. So the Lions should be able to just carve them up in two games. And the Lions should have beaten them twice last year. So I think it's going to be very difficult for Minnesota to duplicate what they did a year ago. If you're sitting here going, all right, who could push the Lions in the division? I'd probably say Green Bay. I don't know what Jordan Love is, but there's still plenty of talent there. They still have very good backs, good offensive line, Jair Alexander on defense. There's there's talent in Green Bay. It's a matter of if Love 
is any good, but no one knows. But I don't think the Bears are ready. I think Minnesota is going to take a giant step back. So this is the line. Ron, this be is fun. the Lions division to win, brother. <laughs> Crazy. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, baby. <laughs> Thanks again to Matt Derry, and thank you for checking out Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show was brought to you by Team 71 Mortgage Group. Looking to buy a house or maybe refinance your home and have questions that need answers now? Call Brian Allure at 810-444-6466. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional videos, uh, maybe you need photography headshots, maybe you need drone content from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. You can also hear previous episodes of this podcast there as well. Also, if you'd like to learn more about the upcoming documentary about the history of radio, click on Radio Days under the Documentaries tab at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Thanks for checking out the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time. You can't go. All the plants are going to die.